This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for December 15th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show, we've got Fanatics Yellowstar retiring from competitive League of Legends to play in the NALCS. We also take a look at a big patch in Counter-Strike Global Offensive, and we're going to see how it affects the pro game. But first up, the ESL-ESEA Pro League wrapped up this weekend with a North America vs. Europe showdown, and Fnatic faced off against Navi for the season title. We've got freelance writer and CSGO expert Joe Winder Wong with us once again to talk about the ESL-ESEA Finals. Uh, and I have to say, this was a phenomenal tournament, and... You know, the, we'll get to the final in a second, but I have to say the group stage itself was nowhere near the foregone conclusion that I, I feared it might be. And while the overall record for like North America versus Europe remains pretty bad, uh, I'm not sure the overall numbers do a great job of showcasing just how close uh, Team Liquid in particular comes to managing these upsets against teams like uh, Envy and Fnatic. Their first map against Envious. Uh, Liquid staged a really massive comeback and looked world-class at times against probably the flashiest team uh, we've, been, we've been looking at all season. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is the thing I struggle with. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you both think on this. On the one hand, the outcomes are pretty consistent. Uh, you know, it, you could say, like, who cares how close Liquid gets sometimes? They still lose. <laughs> they still yeah, get 2-0. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, like, Liquid was literally one good break away from taking leads on both Fnatic and Envy in their series. And, you know, that's that's pretty huge. Those, those little turns of fortune are huge in a best-of-three format like you have in CSGO. Yeah, and, you know, Joe, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this. But, like, my instant reaction to what you just said, Rob, is that I... I wonder how much though that closeness matters in a group stage style format because I feel like those Euro teams would have had no real incentive to like spend time uh, studying those comparatively weaker North American opponents who they knew they were only going to have to play once and that they're probably just going to be based on skill alone. You know, they would have probably been focused strategically. Uh, on each other, these European teams. So meanwhile, the North American teams would have been studying specifically to best the EU teams. They would have been studying them and trying to figure out how to take them down because they knew they would have had to to advance. Uh, and it's just it's an interesting power dynamic in that kind of format. I, and I, I find myself doubting that the NA teams would have done as well as they did uh, if they had to play the EU's best in a bracket format where everybody knows that they only have to be defeat their opponent one time to move on. But Joe, I'm really interested to hear what you had to, had to say about that. Yeah, I mean, a, a big change. So this is a season two of the of the Pro League, and this was held in America. And a big sort of... Uh, I guess change from from the first season was that the group stages are now all best of threes. In the first season, they I believe only the decider match and maybe the losers match was best of three, and you saw a bunch of upsets. If you guys remember that tournament, you know LG beating um, Fnatic and CLG beating another top tier team, and so now you see sort of the. I guess, strength of a best of three, that even though Team Liquid can come so close, and even, so, I mean, for example, if it was a best of one, and Team Liquid did beat Envy on that cobblestone game, they would have gone straight to the winner's match. Um, it didn't end up happening, or didn't end up mattering, of course, but you can see how that, you know, that added 
sort of buffer zone for for these European teams really gives them that edge to really push and sort of strengthen their lead and and sort of you know showcase their strength against NA teams like that. But um, yeah, I mean, in, in talking about sort of preparation, I think, and this might become sort of a wider topic. Kind of in the year end, I feel a lot of these European teams have kind of become fatigued mm-hmm. over okay. over these tournaments, and so. I'm not entirely sure whether mm. or not, you know, Envy specifically practiced for Liquid and and Liquid, you know, perfectly sort of countered Envy it, it on a map or something. But um, I feel like this tournament and maybe a couple tournaments um, last month as well, it just really feels like these European teams have, have had a, you know, really, really tough year in, in sort of attending tournament after tournament. And... Um, you know, they're they're mainly kind of playing off skill at the moment. Yeah, it it does sort of seem like we've been talking about a a premier uh, tournament featuring European teams like every other week on the show now uh, for for a few months, and that can be a pretty grueling uh, schedule. And then you factor in uh, you know the the toll travel takes on you; it gets, it gets pretty dire. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up in particular with Team Liquid though is uh, they had a they had a stand in uh, on the first day. They they had a player uh, named Mo, and he had some of the uh, some of the biggest like clutch moments of of, of that entire uh, opening day for, for for Team Liquid. And you know, I was, I was looking at the stats, and it, it looks like Team Liquid with Mo in the lineup is a much better team uh, than than Team Liquid without him. Uh, so I, I'm just curious, like. I haven't seen. I, I don't know who Mo is. Uh, and and the next day, like Team Liquid were back to their usual lineup, and the results weren't. They, they didn't. They didn't seem quite as strong. Uh, but tell me a little bit about you know what what you saw there. What did what did what did Mo bring to the table? And was that was that the sort of performance that that maybe makes Mo uh, a little more desirable as, as a uh, you know player in a in a pro lineup? Well, so the reason for Mo sort of standing in on the first day was because um, their fifth player, Elige, was actually taking his finals for high school, I believe. So he was actually just taking <laughs> his exams, <laughs> you know, before attending this sort of $250,000 tournament. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and so it was like just on that last day or something. And so Mo had to come in as a, as a stand-in since he kind of lives near California. So he was just um, a guy like in the area? <laughs> <laughs> they just picked a random guy off the street. No, no, no. I mean, Mo is kind of a touchy subject in kind of North American CS because in sort of 1.6, I believe, he was kind of caught um, hacking. And so mm. there was a sort of year ban on sort of the third-party matchmaking providers. Yeah. And he was kind of shunned from the community for a bit. Um, but then CSGO came out, and it was kind of a you know clean slate for, for the most part. And, um, you know, he's a relatively big streamer. I think he's, you know, top five at least um, on Twitch. And he kind of hasn't really played on a premier-level team ever. Um, he, he was on a team with Steel, the... Um, another sort of infamous player who who was kind of caught match fixing mm. um, he, he, uh, together with him he formed a team called Torqued and they were doing pretty well um sort of late last year um but yeah other than that he's mainly kind of just a, a streamer kind of um, what we call like a pub star just kind of a guy that 
that gets a lot of frags. It's kind of a flashy player. Um, and so I guess Liquid just kind of picked up, you know, I, I doubt they really have a, a relationship with him, but he was available and they, and they picked him up. And yeah, I mean, he did really well for for the, the sort of one best of three he played. You know, he's a super flashy opera. So if he gets that kind of streak going, if he if he's really feeling on form, that he can, you know, kill kill anybody with with an AWP. Yeah, it's just a, yeah, because he had like a a round toward the toward the very end of the first half on, on Cobble, where I, I think he pretty much like single handedly uh, wiped out Envious mm-hmm. to, to save a round, and then he he was he was sort of he was uh you know sort of last man standing at the uh at at the fountain, and uh you know just showed like a lot of poise right with a with a fake plant. Uh, mm. To sort of throw uh, envious off, and they th- they start to come up, and then just you know coolly takes them down. Uh, so it was it was impressive and it was striking because I was like oh, I'd never heard of this guy. Yeah, and wait, suddenly wait, wait, like wait, Team wait. Liquid are. So he, I, I didn't I didn't catch this match. Can you explain the fake plant thing to me? I really want to hear this. Uh, yeah, so he's in he's in a two he's in a two v one, and I don't think he has uh, much health left uh, at mm-hmm. this point, and he's already like basically in, and this I think is round eighteen. And basically, Team Liquid had had a bad round. Uh, things had basically gone really wrong for them. And Mo just kind of ended off by himself. And he was on this flank run while his team gets slaughtered. And uh, I think he picks up a he p- he picks up at least a kill, maybe two, on his way to the Fountain Plant location. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's in the two v one, and he knows that he he knows the uh, the the envious players are are, are coming up, and. You know they've got him bracketed, it's, so it should be a simple matter of, of just sort of waiting him out and, and then and then taking him out. Uh, so what he does is he he you know pops a few shots off and then he bring he gets the bomb out and he starts planting it. And I guess they see the animation and that lures them out of cover. And Mo immediately <laughs> brings up his uh, AK I think at that point uh-huh. and uh, takes one of them down. And then goes to work on the other, and and sort of saves the round. But yeah. he t- he totally baited them out of of a of a basically a one a one position. Oh, I uh, love that! By, I love that kind of old that, crafty that play. I yeah. love that kind of old crafty play, and like that's kind of I think what you get when you bring like a, a pub player on board who's not so focused on necessarily like how you're supposed to play, but no has played so much CS. That they know mm-hmm. all of those weird little tricks that they've pulled off a thousand times, but that, that you would never see at the top level. That's really, really cool. Sorry to interrupt, but that was so much fun to hear. Yeah. Uh so I mean, I don't know. It was just like Team Liquid had a lot of these, a lot, a lot of these rounds, a lot of these uh series where it was like it, you know, they had they had a really good chance and that they almost they almost had what it took. They had a really uh they had a really strong showing against uh Fnatic on on cash but you know in both cases it does seem like there's an element of um na teams finding ways to lose mm. uh sometimes uh just <laughs> and, and i don't know maybe it's maybe it's i don't know what the psychology of that is whether whether it's you know sometimes like underdogs can get rattled when they have the lead because yeah. mm-hmm. you know it, suddenly the dream is real and now you become aware of all the ways you could totally blow this <laughs> and you never you never forget you're playing a team like fanatic yeah uh but so it, it does seem like you know when it really was their series when it really was like their map to win you'd start seeing liquid just not landing the shots uh not being decisive with with calls 
And I don't know whether that's um, them choking or whether there's an also and also an element of teams like Envious and Fnatic having that extra gear and being able to say, "All right, this has gone far enough. We need to stop screwing around." You know, let's give <laughs> let's give them the champion level performance. Yeah, I mean, it's for a team like Team Liquid, it, it's hard to sort of exactly dissect what went wrong. You know, in in sort of the Fnatic's case where they had a huge um T side half. They finished ten five, um, which is a great, great half for the terrorist side. Um, you know, Liquid kinda has a notoriously bad sort of C T side. I'm not sure why that is. It might just be, you know, it you know, CTs, you really have to have a very stable team. It can't necessarily be one player just going absolutely crazy. And on the T side for cash, Nitro was just going absolutely crazy i think he had he was close to like 30 frags on one half which is you know bonkers i barely i barely get 30 frags on an entire map um and so you know you know just having that one player sometimes just isn't good enough you know you have to have two three players everyone on each site hitting their shots and getting those you know first frags as the terrorists are entering that Mm -hmm. site and Team Liquid just just weren't you know together at that point. Yeah, you know, and I, and I also want to talk about so so this was most of, so far we've been talking mostly about the group stage, uh, but eventually it did you know advance on and we ended up with a tournament where uh, Navi played uh, Fnatic in the grand finals and it turned out to be an amazing grand finals, a best of five mm-hmm. series that went all the way to to, uh, to five. And I want to say I actually have it pulled up here. I think that there's like three out of four of them were sixteen to fourteen matches, so basically yeah. almost tie games, like almost overtime games, just as close as you possibly can get. Um, and the one thing that like, that really stuck out to me is, so it goes all the way to, to, to game five and it's been this really close, really intense match between Navi and Fnatic and everybody's kind of wondering what's going to happen at this point because Fnatic took the two first two games and then Navi stages this incredible comeback and takes the next two. And so all of the, the momentum is in Navi's court right now. And to kind of get that back, what we hear from Fnatic in that fifth game is they just start screaming. Like they actually start shouting after every round they win. You'll just hear them. Just going, ah! And I was, was wondering, like, from your perspective, like, how important is momentum in professional CSGO? And is that what we saw? Is that what we saw was um, them manipulating the momentum and putting some sort of uh, trying to steal the momentum away from Navi in that game five? Or was there something else at play that I didn't quite perceive that wasn't quite as obvious as screaming gorillas? Right. I mean, you know, so like in, in say a MOBA, um, when you have these kinds of dominating games, you know how when you get a really good early start in, in League of Legends or Dota 2 mm-hmm. and you start to snowball, it becomes hard for the other team to kind of push back, right? Sure. There's not that many avenues to kind of find an, another edge against a top-level team. But in CS, every almost every round is a clean slate. So if you have that kind of mental fortitude where you can say, all right, we've, we've you know, we had these two really close games and then we lost two maps and we're on the final map but you know this is one of our best maps let's just take this round by round and every round we win you know we every round we lose we have a chance to win the next one and Mm -hmm. with that sort of mentality you have a very kind of you know i guess 
ferocious team in the sense that they they really have the the mentality to win. Mm-hmm. And in Fnatic's case, where they sort of dropped um, their in-game leader Pronax, you know, Olaf Meister, one of the, the best players of, of the year, um, he said specifically, you know, with our, our new pickup, we haven't had the time to, you know, go through strategies, to go through all our maps. So what we've mainly been doing is just playing off kind of picks and playing off feel and, and just playing our game and playing to our strengths. And I think that that really showcased in, in Cobblestone where, where they, you know, kind of just put a stop to Navi's um, comeback train. Yeah, it was sort of like, um, like Fnatic is a team that I associate very closely with this sort of cold calculating vibe. Like they don't, they don't, they're not, they're not cloud nine, you know, they're mm-hmm. the exact, uh, they're the super ego to cloud nine's id or something yeah. like that, where they just always seem very straight faced. They always seem like they're just totally business and it's kind of like terrifying in its own regard. And it seemed like this game five was where they finally were just like, okay, the cold calculating thing isn't working right now. We need to reach for something a little bit deeper and pull out some kind of like raw emotional fury here. Cause I, I want to say it was. It was game. I actually, I know this. It was it was game fourteen. It was it was eight to six at the time, and they were they were up by two maps, uh, but they were they were being threatened to go into the next half, basically at a tie, eight to seven. Uh, and Navi is uh, Navi's on counter terrorist side. I want to say, and they managed to take out four members of Fnatic, and it's just Dennis left. And they've got this great defensive position set up. And Dennis, I, I kid you not, jumps out of a window and gets a headshot <laughs> on one of the one of the Navi oh, players. Yeah. I think it was Guardian, actually, their star sniper. Pulls off a headshot on his way down to the ground. And there's just like this feeling like you can feel the inevitability. It's like Michael Jordan is staring down the hoop and he's just gonna drive and you know he's gonna dunk and make a look make the other person look like a fool. And he ends up taking out both of these guys. And you suddenly you see Fnatic, they're smiling. Like they know that something happened right there. And I don't think they lost another map or another match that entire mm-hmm. the entire rest of this year. I think they I think they swept the next side or something like that, which was really just so cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dennis in in particular, their their new recruit, um, was part of this sort of old lineup called LGB, mm. and um, it had Crims and it had Olaf. So, in a lot of ways, this is kind of the if if you look back at LGB and and what that sort of Swedish that kind of like third Swedish team brought to kind of the. Swedish scene as a whole and sort of CSGO as a whole, you can see kind of the, the I guess, marks that they've left because other members include like Michael Lele, who, you know, mm-hmm. went on to NIP and, and performed super well there and, and is now with G2. And now you have this trio of, of absolute monster players <laughs> on, 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 you know, a team that had an incredible run this year. And, you know, who knows what, what, what will come next year. They, they can very much um, continue their streak onwards. Yeah, you know, the thing is, I guess for me, it was, it was an amazing final, but I actually stopped believing in Navi after that <laughs> first map. Like, right. it, it was like there were a lot of ups and downs in that series, but fundamentally, I couldn't get past what happened to Navi on the first map uh, uh, on Inferno, mm-hmm. where Navi had just been had just been stomping Fnatic into the pavement. Uh and I and I think at one point they had a 13 to 5 lead. 
Mm. Uh, but then they just had one of the most like horrifically abysmal uh, tea sides uh that that you can imagine it, they they just they just completely disintegrated and it's interesting you mentioned guardian uh giving up a a sort of uh you know critical uh you know turning point kind of kill cuz that that as as navi began to struggle it did sort of seem like one one recurring theme in in in, in navi's uh in, in navi's day was that guardian seemed to be in the wrong place at the wrong time uh mm-hmm. consistently mm. Uh, he would show his face too early and uh, get dropped or either get dropped or taken down considerably in health uh, at the start of a round. Um, he would, you know, check out a, a Molotov uh, lit area uh, and and just eat like needless damage. Uh, but yeah, just watching watching Navi kind of completely unable to shut the door on a team they, they had, you know, by, by rights that they had beaten them. Uh, it it should have been over. And Fnatic, you know, credit to them that they, they had an amazing comeback. Uh, but at the same time, like a comeback of that magnitude also required a a pretty equally impressive series of of miscues on the Navi side, where they just didn't seem to know uh, what to do with that side of the map. Well, so my question with that is that that was on Inferno, and Joe is Inferno well known for being uh, imbalanced in favor of counter terrorist. Well, it's it's. It's interesting because Inferno can be, you can have these incredible scorelines where a CT team absolutely shuts out a terrorist team. Just kind of how the map works, because if you know sort of the smokes and if you get off to a really good start, uh, any kind of top level team can do these smokes and can kind of run down the clock. Um, I mean, it, it it's not that easy to say like okay like Fnatic just kind of you know did the ct side as normal and kind of made this this comeback um look like nothing but it inferno is definitely one of those maps where you know if you get off to a bad start if you get sort of um if you win around and then lose around as a terrorist and get complete and your money gets completely reset then it becomes very difficult to kind of break into any kind of site because there are just so many kind of crossfires and so many different angles to look at that it just becomes incredibly hard as as a terrorist. So I mean, I think at this point we you know we had we had Slasher uh, on on the show a few a few weeks ago, Rod Breslau, and you know in his view, like Fanatic were even a few weeks ago were unquestionably uh, sort of the team of the year. And, you know, I think after watching a final like that, uh, you know, they sort of confirmed that judgment, uh, yeah. especially with how many, uh, you know, clutch saves uh, they had on, on different maps and how many, uh, you know, big moments they had. My my, my question uh, for you, uh, for you, Joe, is what does Fnatic have now that distinguishes them from... You know, from from a Navi or or from from a team like Envious, who I felt for a little while were were probably their closest competition. Uh, what 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 is the fanatic difference? And they and they restructured a bit. Uh, you know, as you pointed out over the course of this year. But um, you know, when, when you when you look at like what separated them from a really strong crop of European teams, uh, what what put Fnatic on the top step of that podium? Yeah, I mean, sort of looking back through the year, um. I did a little write-up about the Fnatic team and why they have become this sort of 
powerhouse in, in the scene. And, you know, with Pronax gone, it's a little bit different and it, and it's hard to say exactly how it'll play out next year. But I think the core sort of still remains the same. And it's the fact that they have these contingency plans. You know, most teams, they have one star player. And if mm. that guy doesn't go absolutely huge, like with Navi, if, if Guardian yeah. doesn't drop 30, 40 frags in a game, it becomes very hard for that team to sort of, you know, win more than a single map. Um, but with Navi, if you look at their lineup, it it's just insane. You have JW first off, who is, you know, who alone can take on a, an entire team with this AWP. But if he <laughs> falls short, if he doesn't have a good day, you then have Crims, you have Flusha, these two absolute brick walls um, on the CT side who will absolutely not lose a site without killing one or two guys. Then you have Olaf Meister, who is bar none one of the best all-around CSGO players in the world right now, who, who can you know do absolutely anything you want him to do. He can rifle, he can pistol, he can AWP, he can use an auto-sniper, he can knife someone, he can do anything. Um, and then you add in Dennis, who was you know part of that old LGB team, and in you know Olaf Meister and Krim's words, he, at that at the time he was their best player. So if you have now the two best players in the world calling that guy the best player in the world, what kind of team do you have on your hands? Here? <laughs> yeah, you know it, 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 what it makes me think about is that I, I it makes me wish that we had as much insight into how esports organizations are run as we do into how like NBA organizations are run and how like the front office works and all of these different things. Because what's most interesting to me about that is how they've managed to just completely they've managed to really avoid a lot of the fatigue that comes with traveling all over the world. They had a couple of rough months where Envious took over as probably the best team in the world for a short time. Uh, but I mean, Fnatic has been spectacularly consistent, which signals that their organization has run very, very smoothly. And they've also managed to transition to different teams, like actual fundamentally different teams. There's different players who take over, which signals that there's a strength of the Fnatic organization as a whole. It's 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 a it's the trouble with esports. You know, you never you can never fully understand, I guess, the inner workings of a team. Um and and we might never really know exactly how a team like Fnatic works. Um but it's clear to see that the players themselves and sort of the decisions that they've made across the year have have really paid off. For them. Yeah, and you know, Fnatic is just one of those organizations across all esports that it just is more professional than I think a lot of organizations. There's so many teams where you find out that they're doing poorly suddenly, and then you find out that it's because it's being run by a bunch of kids who all hate each other and can't get over their petty differences or something like that. But Fnatic just has always struck me as a, uh, a exceedingly professional organization across all of their different games. I think there's a survivorship element to this as well. Any organization that lasts uh you know for a while that doesn't happen without there being certain values and professionalism to sort of keep it together uh when maybe things aren't going smoothly so i mean you know i think i think at this point it's fanatic now has had multiple generations of successful esports programs uh running and and sort of the management level you've got you know sort of a a, a lot of experience uh going back to earlier eras uh, of esports uh and that can sort of be you know, really ideal for sort of cultivating and keeping younger younger talent grounded. But it is a frustration, uh, particularly I think for for those of us who cover these games, 
because you know like a traditional sports reporter you know deals have to be publicly announced right like you you know who's up for trade you know when contracts run out uh you know you, like you know who is representing given players uh like from from an agency standpoint uh and in esports you know really you'd have to be a fly on the wall of like a Skype conversation <laughs> or, or or something uh to really figure out like uh why what goes down goes down uh i had another question uh joe and this this relates to something else was this tournament played on the latest patch? Were there certain tournament rules put in place to uh, to, to mitigate some of the issues people have had with this with this most recent uh, Counter Strike patch? Because I get the impression, like I get the impression that there's a lot of uh, discontent around uh, the the latest version of uh, CS:GO that was pushed. Yeah, um, when I think the patch hit sometime early last week. And sort of the tournament was, you know, uh, on the weekend. And I believe uh, someone from ESL said that the pat the the tournament would be played um, on the previous patch. Mm -hmm. So without sort of the revolver and without the rifle changes and and, and all that. So I, I'm I'm new to this. I didn't I didn't read up on the uh, Counter Strike Global Offensive uh, new patch changes. Can you can you guys kind of like break it down for me on what what was new? What what is new that's coming to the game? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, um, basically, they, they launched the sort of winter update, I think they called it. Um, and whenever a, a new update for CSGO hits, it's kind of this kind of uh, cautious optimism from, from the community. You know, there, there are a lot of sort of requests um, from the community and, and a lot of which Valve ha have made or, or answered rather. Um, but still, there's whenever a major patch hits, there's there's kind of this, uh, I guess, buzz around the community about what what actually what new things have Valve um, concocted for the for the game. Um, and this time around, they decided to add a a new gun um, called the R8 revolver, um, and it's sort of a art alternative to the uh, Deagle, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. a um, you know, a very famous sort of 1.6 gun. Uh, and um, basically, when the when the patch hit, uh, the gun was insanely broken. Um, to, <laughs> in, to put it In lightly. what respect? Uh, I mean, aside from... So, I mean, there's there's two parts. There's one, which is, it, it was really buggy. There were, mm -hmm. there were a ton of bugs associated with it. But... On the other hand, on purely sort of the stats of the gun itself, it was also super broken because it was one of the only pistols, I believe, to have a an alt fire with your right click. Um, so the only other pistol that has that is the Glock, which changes your single shot to a burst fire. Mm -hmm. um, so this revolver um, is a sort of... It's really hard to describe, but basically with your left click you kind of have it clicks and it kind of has a, a tiny um, pause and then you fire off a kind of a supercharged shot. Mm -hmm. And then with your right click, you sort of whip off like a, a really quick crack shot that has okay, less sure, accuracy, yeah. but same damage. Um, so that there's the two sort of modes of fire there. Um, but the actual damage output from this gun was absolutely insane. Because what people found out was, as you know, people got into the servers and stuff and started testing this new gun out, you could 
it, it was basically a, a, a mini op for $850. <laughs> you know, so, so the Deagle, the, the, the Desert Eagle, the good thing about that was you could headshot someone from long range mm-hmm. and, and get a kill. And so in that sense, it was kind of like a, you know, mini scout without the scope, I guess. Sure. And, and it was kind of, it was seen as incredibly skillful because, you know, you didn't have the scope. It was almost just like a one shot, one chance thing to get the kill. It has to be, you know, very fast reactions, but then you have the revolver and you could just kind of see someone from, I guess, straight down mid and you just line up the shot and hit him in the chest or something. And you deal 90 to maybe a hundred damage to him and instantly kill him. And it's just like, you know, absolutely crazy. The kind of damage that, you know, even if you don't kill the guy, just the damage that you put out, it's not, it's not 30, it's not 50 right. damage. You're you're dealing 80, 90 damage to him. Right. So a- and, almost anything else can kill him. And so for people who don't follow, follow Counter-Strike, that's, when you talk about $850, that's like, what, roughly one-sixth or one-seventh what it costs to get the most powerful sniper rifle in the game, which, yeah. is the, which is the AWP that you referred to earlier? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, when you start the game, you only get $800. So they, okay. did, they, they took that into consideration. You know, They were like, yeah. what if people just bought this straight up? And they were like, okay, let's just take a step back here. But you know, for, for everything else, it, it just brings into question what exactly was, was kind of going on. Because a, as more news came out, it turns out, I don't know, they were playing with this, this idea since... 2013 or something some Hmm. pros came out and said they you know they were approached at events saying and and the devs asked them like what do you think of this would would you do you think this is like a good idea or whatever and then this is what comes out after you know x number of iterations and and it and the community right now is just kind of just confused and and kind of angry at at valve's i guess response to to what um they've asked well, for and have valve explained their reasoning behind this weapon anywhere aside from aside from the the revolver um there were there were two other changes okay um so they changed the or three rather um one of which is kind of minor um uh they changed the inaccuracy to uh rifles um to make it so that spraying when you're sort of holding down your mouse and kind of controlling the spray pattern of a gun um at sort of mid to long ranges is more random and that's sort of to discourage i guess people from from spraying all the time because when you have a rifle um you know you have kind of three modes of fire you have just a normal tapping with your mouse you have a quick burst fire and then you have the full-on spray down and so it, the community right now is is pretty split about this rifle change. Some kind of like it because it promotes a, a sort of different play style at different ranges. Most uh, other communities like on Reddit really, really hate it. They've created numerous petitions to, you know... Um, well, that'll clear that right up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. To sort of uh, petition Valve to... Change re- that reverse and straighten this the, right, the right the fuck out. Yeah. Um, and and so that right now the the sort of um it, it, it's it's split right now so we we don't really know how how it'll play out but um so, so you also it, have 
It, Sorry, uh, it, so no, the, is the is the reasoning behind that sort of to change behind both of these together like kind of to change counter-strike towards a game that's a little bit more precise and a little bit more about these like big like uh really big play shots like like headshots with with uh the new rifle or yeah big thought well thought out shots i guess is what i'm getting at i mean it, it's hard because it feels like the community um, the sort of mindset between the developers and the community is is very much split between what the community wants out of the game and what mm-hmm. Valve wants out of the game. You know, Valve has said multiple times that they kind of want every gun to be viable in in sort of the uh, competitive scene. True. Whereas, um, you know, the, the community very much wants that sort of 1.6 style of AK, M4, AWP. That's mm-hmm. it. That's mm-hmm. all the guns you buy for the entire un- entire game. Um, so there, there's a push and pull there. And right now the rifle changes, initially people thought, you know, they were just ruining these iconic guns so that you could go, you could, you know, take the next step up and purchase the sort of SG and, and AUG, which are these scoped rifles for each each side and they're much more expensive um and they're they feel the community feels like there may may have been a push towards that but right now i don't know the the spray changes have have um been really split sure and what was the was the third change um so they also changed the moving inaccuracy for pistols um that's kind of very minor it's just kind of a um when you're kind of running and um sort of shooting your your glock or whatever people sort of complained that it was a bit too random because people could just keep running and you know just like run around jump around corners and stuff and and headshot you out of nowhere um so they changed that and um but i think the biggest change right now that that's kind of affecting the competitive scene is the fact that they changed the timers for round timers so it's been a minute and 45 seconds and um i think a 35 second bomb timer or you know since sort of competitive cs has been sort of created i guess or envisioned um but with this patch they've said that they're changing they're changing it to 1 minute and 55 seconds and a 40 second bomb timer for everything for their majors and for um matchmaking which is sort of their you know these public's way of of um getting their cs in and while i mean it it's difficult because the community have requested parity between the the official matchmaking and competitive games yeah. but they didn't want it to come like this they didn't want it to come at the expense of the competitive uh, scene basically yeah that is uh <clears throat> and uh, the, these changes like community recs really like viscerally to these things because like this is not just patching things in csgo this is like changing how the game has worked going back to 1.6 this is going like you're 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 changing things that have existed uh for like a generation uh, <laughs> like, right. a generation <laughs> of players light light uh, li- lifetimes right yeah I mean, it's it's 
hard because you know with with esports the way it is now where it's kind of very developer focused and developer centric um any any developer can come out with a patch and just say okay we're just going to change we're just going to change the rules to this and with it being so sort of ingrained in the developer's hands with you know tournaments and and the game itself being all sort of in the developer's hands it's very hard for tournaments or players or you know just just the public to sort of resist that change because there's no real alternative yeah i i can see i can see why this is controversial and and again sometimes like you know valve's stewardship of other games has not always been the most encouraging uh you know the, the team fortress community i think often had issues where you had radical changes being made to the game, uh, you know, and it, it was weird. You had this disconnect as well. The way Team Fortress was handled, everything was sort of painted as fun in games. Oh boy, it's you know, it's it's the spy versus sniper update. Good times. Have a have a have a movie. Look at all these wacky new items these characters get to use. But certainly, I started to feel, and I, and I and I I know that a lot of players in the competitive scene felt uh, that you were also just seeing like clear cut relationships. Uh, suddenly being muddied in in Team Fortress, where where you had game dynamics that had sort of uh, that were sort of sacrosanct, and suddenly Valve, for for no really good or clear reasons other than sort of novelty and change for its own sake, uh, was sometimes meddling uh, with those things, and, and that I think ended up kind of killing uh, some of the uh, you know enthusiasm for for high level play. It, it sort of set uh, some some issues. Uh, in the community in, in Team Fortress Two, it's it's very strange to me though that this is happening in Counter Strike now, uh, because you know in some ways this was the, this was kind of a, a finished game in some ways, right? Like mm-hmm. I mean, people have been playing Counter Strike for ages, just as it is, uh, and it's getting again more popular uh, than ever. So like you know it. You know the game is won. Like Counter Strike uh, Global Offensive has been a huge success, uh, so it's it's a little strange to me to to suddenly see these see these changes introduced uh, when I'm not sure there's a, there's a clear a clear need for any of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are sort of very kind of minor changes that the community have asked for, but for the most part, these these are changes that no one expected or no one kind of wanted you know they're they're changes for the sake of change for the most part i mean you know um moving on for from from kind of the initial reaction valve did put out a uh, a sort of blog post that titled damage control um with sort of uh nerfs to the r8 sort of two days right after the patch but they said that they have no real intention of sort of reverting the rifle changes or 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 the the timer changes right now you know they'll they, they and and that's as much communication as as we're ever going to get and it it's just kind of mind-boggling at at this point because you never really know what's what's coming up next you know you it 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 becomes very difficult for a competitive player to kind of i guess plan for the future of their game if, you know, the next day a, a patch like this can just drop. Well, I, you know, it seems like uh, 
Counter Strike is in a good enough place that it can it can sustain uh, some strife. It can it can handle things like this. You know, rising tide floats all boats. But uh, hopefully. Uh, there's a little more stability uh, in in the way it's handled next year, and maybe a little more communication uh, from Valve explaining some of the thinking behind these changes. Uh, maybe even talking about changes before Valve actually makes changes, uh, which is a which is a thrilling prospect uh, that we can all contemplate uh, with envy. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fantastic talking uh, talking to you about Counter Strike uh, this year, and we look forward to having you back next year. Absolutely, thanks for having me. So there hasn't been a ton happening in League of Legends play this week. Uh, we just had the All-Stars match uh, where the Korean region proved once again why it's the best region in the world and Bjergsen beat Double Lift in a 1v1 tournament. Uh, but I did want to ask you uh, about what you think of where the NALCS is headed, Rob, uh, especially now that your favorite uh, favorite team in the world, Fnatic from, the, from Europe, has basically moved over to North America, but in pieces. Yeah, uh, this has this has not been a great off season uh, for me in some ways uh, because <clears throat> I feel like a really interesting sports story kind of ended prematurely, uh, which, which which is that Fnatic had this maybe it did reach its natural terminus who knows but Fnatic had this ama- amazing resurgence uh, rebuilt uh, found scouted great new talent. Uh, brought in world-class players at at every position they had to replace uh, last year. And it really did feel like, okay, if you keep this roster together, you know, and they get more time together, maybe, maybe with a little more practice and training and a little more more time, you could have a, a viable international contender. What I didn't really expect was that every single star member of that organization would decide sort of en masse uh, that, you know, enough of this EU LCS nonsense, enough, enough right. of fanatic. Uh, we're going to, we're going to America where the esports streets are paved with gold. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, you can't blame them. Uh, cause the thing is what's, what's happening in, in the NALCS. And this is, this is where I get really confused and uh, a little ambivalent about everything. NALCS appears to be a wash in cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think sort of the... the uh, So NALCS seems to be a wash in cash. And uh, that's sort of typified by this, this new organization uh, called the Immortals. And our, our friend James Chen uh, actually wrote a really good piece for PC Gamer uh, about sort of the, the background on this team and, and what they represent uh, for League of Legends. But basically, uh, the Immortals are not an esports organization. Uh, they they are basically backed by private investment and and venture capital. And we're talking about like uh, so, some very big names, uh, basically that are that are tied to uh, you know other pro sports and pro sports teams. So the Immortals are. You know, kind of, you know, kind of resemble the ownership board of of a major sports franchise, uh, and I suspect they're throwing around uh, money that a lot of other esports organizations uh, can't match, and so that's where that's where Hooney and Rainover uh, have ended up. Uh, they they both they both left Fnatic and sort of came as a group over to the Immortals, uh, where. 
you know, the, n- now, and, and this sort of changes the landscape, right? Because C- now the Immortals is an organization that sort of is, is sort of astroturfed into position. It's very top down, uh, backed by a lot of money and not a lot of, you know, ground up support. And so, you know, where do they stand in terms of resources compared to TSM? Like, are we about to see NALCS despite never having been a, a very strong region? Uh, are we about to see it turn into something a lot, something that resembles uh, pro uh, sport, pro traditional sports uh, in America? Well, yeah, and there's an interesting parallel here to to what happened in South Korea like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where there it was it was not about it wasn't like the rest of the world. It wasn't like the rest of the world where we had these these. Um, gaming organizations that a lot of them grew out of like clans in north america and europe where they were just they they found themselves with money and they found themselves with a great competitive team so they tried to sort of slap together uh, a competitive force but whereas in south korea you had people designing these things as businesses from the ground up with really huge amounts of private investment and that's kind of what this almost like for the first time feels like in north america and i'm curious if you if you see a parallel there i do see a parallel but at the same time where where, here's where here's where i part ways with that that analogy as far as i know uh a lot of the korean corporate teams were still run basically as lost leaders uh this was a way to sort of put your brand out there uh, and the teams themselves were not necessarily profitable in themselves, except as marketing spends, right? And maybe they were hugely mm-hmm. successful uh, on that front. But I, do, but it's, but it's not like you know, SK Telecom. We're selling a ton of SK Telecom jackets, sure. and like making sure. a fortune that way. Uh, what I see happening with a, with an organization like the Immortals, uh. I do kind of wonder how long before you start seeing some of these investors, uh, you know, at, if you see more of them getting in the space, more of them taking over teams, how long before they start trying to restructure it more as something that resembles the kind of deals you see in uh, American professional leagues, right? So how long before you, you, you start having teams, uh, you know, sort of forming a cartel where, you know, suddenly they want x percentage of stream revenue right suddenly they want you know one you know one merchandise store that everyone has access to and you know profits are split i think there's really interesting possibilities here some exciting some worrying but the main thing is you've got a lot of serious investors behind this organization and i at first glance i don't fully know why they're there well i i think that the reason or the the why that is here that that i i don't personally believe that these caliber of people these millionaires and billionaires give a crap about stream revenue or merchandise stores i think that this is this is like a an investment in you know esports 10 years from now or 15 years from now i think yeah. that these people are looking ahead to mm. the kind of money that you get when you fill up a stadium and you sell hot dogs to 30,000 people you know yeah. yeah these are people who are investing in the future of esports not in an esports organization and they're trying to get in on the ground floor of that yeah i get a seat at the table that's that's a very good point now i don't know how you get there and that's sort of been the mystery uh for years because there's so many things that just don't necessarily make sense in esports like you need a sports stadium for it for a city team right because 
you know, that's what that's where football and baseball and basketball live. Right. You you have your local team that has access to an entire like municipal region. Uh, but in esports right now, at least. It's these very small hubs where the teams all have to be in the same place uh, to play each other week in, week out. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know how like I, I don't know how we get to a place where you see some of those traditional revenue streams uh, opening up for esports. Holograms, man. <laughs> get those holograms up in the stadium and again put a hologram of TSM uh, playing against the Immortals. And you don't oh, have to God, travel. That's you right. There was that ARG like thought experiment. <laughs> you could put the entire like rift down there. Uh, Summer's yeah. Rift, and you'd be watching it from the stands. Uh, Let's do yeah, it. God, I would. That would be pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, so that's one case where you, where you, so the Immort- so immortals ha- have kind of come in and uh, bought a lot of of really strong talent. Uh, but then you have Team Solo Mid, who have done the same thing. They put together once again. We have a super team in League of Legends now. Historically, I don't think a super team has ever worked out all that well, <laughs> uh, and part of it is just because no team yeah. can ever live up to expectations uh, of a super team. But when you look at what what Team Solomid have done, uh, <clears throat> so they hired Double Lift uh, straight off the back of his uh, you know parting ways with with CLG, but now you have Yellow Star, who was you know kind of the backbone of the Fnatic team for ages. Now he's coming over. Uh, to play for solo mid and joining Bjergsen and Svenskeren and, and Hounser. Uh, so I don't know, because on the one hand, I think I justifiably have a low opinion of NALCS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of organizations historically in, in, in the NALCS. And I think TSM is one of them that are good at assembling talent and bad mm-hmm. at sort of managing it and sustaining it. Um, it's the classic super team problem of ego, right? Like, how do you how do you convince these four incredible players that they are not the number one player on the team? And how do you how do you get a number one player who knows both how to succeed in the game itself, but also knows how to manage expectations and knows how to manage the egos of the players around him? Right, and I really wonder how that's going to play out with Yellow Star and Double Lift. Uh, this is the, you know, if this is the thing that does have me sort of reaching for the popcorn bowl, uh, <laughs> for 2016, because the rap on yellow star is that he's an amazing shot caller and he has one of the finest like tactical minds in league of legends. The problem is that he is a little more deferential. So on, on fanatic, Everyone shut up and listened to to Yellow Star because they knew that's what you were supposed to do. Yellow Star had the game plan: shut up, do what he says, uh, mm-hmm. and so he didn't have to fight for authority. But then you throw Double Lift into that mix, whose reputation is <laughs> one hundred eighty degrees uh, for, from Yellow Star. Double Lift is always the best player on the team, whether or not he actually is. And there has been like I, rem- I love League of Legends. I just do. I love it. <laughs> And a couple of years ago, uh, CLG had another really strong, uh, a really another really strong lineup, and they started to fade down, fade down the stretch. And I think one reason for that is Double Lift's management style, uh, 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 team, uh, his approach to being a teammate uh, that year was uh, very Kobe esque, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, hmm, I need to, I need to, perk, I need to pick these guys back up. How about I treat them like crap uh, relentlessly <laughs> in team meetings, uh, week in, week out. 
And the other thing is that, you know, Doublelift uh, likes to have team strategies sort of crafted around him. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I am very curious to see what's going to happen when you have Yellowstar, who's probably the guy who should sort of be your quarterback. He should be the guy running uh, running the game in game. But then you have Doublelift, who, uh, you know, he is very talented. He is he is a legitimately great player. Uh, but I'm not sure it's it's not his individual mechanics that have been the issue, right? It's it's right. been those other elements he brings to the team. It it kind of becomes a question of whether or not Yellow Star is wise enough and keen a keen enough strategist to understand that that's what he's working with and to build that into the game plan to, that he has to deal with double lifts emotions. Yeah, so I am you know I I am super curious to to see how it works out. the The other thing I I just wonder is whether or not this is how we end up. Is this how we get to a, a good uh, North American region? My my feeling is still not quite. The number of, of good organizations is increasing uh, in NA, but you know the, the problem is when you when you still have the issue of there being a lot of weaker teams, uh, you know, in the in the division. There's not a lot. If you're not struggling to make the playoffs, how much are you really improving? Right, like if, right. if it's if it's not right. a fight. And I think this has been the problem of, of a, that a lot of top teams in NA have faced is that it's always, you know, two, three teams fighting for the top spot. But at no sure. point do they ever really have to worry about making it to the postseason. Well, it becomes a preseason, a preseason and the postseason. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am super curious how it's all going to work out. I am also, you know, <laughs> what what happens to Fnatic uh, at, at this point? How do... Uh, you know, how, how do they bounce back from this? Because, uh, you know, you've got they, they they still have, at least for now, uh, some some a couple really great players. But. Yeah, uh, th- that team has just been gutted. And, you know, can they pull another can they pull another miracle? Uh, can 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 they pull another rabbit out of the hat and find another lineup of of great players that nobody's ever heard of before? I suspect yeah, not. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're they're scanning the benches of uh, Korean superstar organizations, looking for the looking for that Huni and that Rainover again that they can poach and bring over to to Europe. Uh, we'll actually have to we'll have to wait and see if they are able to pull that off. So that is actually it for esports today. Not just this week, but for 2015 as a whole. We're going to have one more episode next week uh, to try to take in the entire year in retrospect and discuss some of our favorite moments of the past year. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and about your favorite esports moments of the last year. So if anything stuck out to you over the past 12 months, shoot us an email, preferably with like a YouTube link attached so we can actually watch this and, and see what you're talking about. Um, and we'll see if we can highlight it in a couple listener selections in the next episode. That concludes this week's edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode and esports in general with our community at esports.today. We also love answering your questions and getting your emails. So again, if you have any best of the year moments or questions in general, just uh, let us know at questions at esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2D Podcast. If you've enjoyed esports today so far and you have a few spare minutes, you can really help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and telling your esports buddies about us. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off.